Today on the We Invested podcast, we have Brad Barry, Managing Director and Partner at One Capital Management. Brad, how are you doing today? I'm well, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining. You know, before we get started, would you mind just letting the people know how they can find you on the internet, whether it's your website or social media? Yeah, our firm, One Capital Management, you can go to our website at onecapital.com um, or you can Subscribe and follow us on our show on YouTube, the Make Your Money Matter show with Brad Barrett. So you can uh, reach us at all those places. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just take it from the top, man, and talk a little bit about, you know, where you're from and where you grew up. Yeah, uh, you know, born and raised uh, North Los Angeles area. So Southern California boy. Um, I spent a lot of time in Hawaii. In fact, I lived there for a little while. Just moved back, in fact, about six months ago with the family. So kind of spent our uh, pandemic years over there. Dad was born and raised on Oahu, so have a lot of, uh, you know, island in me in a sense. But um, yeah, and uh, I got started in this business, you know, man, when I was 16 years old, which I think shocks a lot of people. You know, it's kind of like uh, one of those industries you don't typically start your first job in. You know, it's um, and I'm 36 now and I've been doing this for like two decades, which is kind of wild. And um, my dad, you know, he worked for a, a telecommunications company as a sales guy for like 20 years. And uh Long story short, the company actually ended up going bankrupt. It was the largest uh, corporate bankruptcy in the world at the time. It was huge and it totally affected our life. You know, it, we, we had to change our lifestyle, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, I was 16 years old. I was kind of mad and figuring out like, how can this happen to my dad? I revered him like it wasn't even his fault kind of thing. And um, right then and there, man, I just chose I want to learn everything I possibly could about money to protect myself and then God touched my heart and basically said, that's your purpose, man. And I want you to do that for other people and uh, never look back. So to this day, man, I don't know what I said, but I walked into the local bank, which used to be Washington Mutual, um, asked for a job and got a job as a teller when I was like a sophomore in high school. And then I uh, worked for a broker dealer when I was 18, went to Arizona State to get my undergrad in economics and started my practice basically right then and there and been doing it ever since. Absolutely, man. That's incredible. I mean, yeah. it, you know, like you mentioned, you don't hear many people saying that they started in this industry or they started in their their career field at the age of 16. So, I mean, what benefits do you think or, or what lessons have you learned just from starting at 16 and, and being yeah. able to view the financial industry from every perspective? Good question, man. Honestly, you know, there's a couple things, right? You, for me, I got into it when I talked to my clients a lot about this because of something that happened to me circumstantially, right? And I think we'll you know, we'll talk about this probably later, but the psychology of money plays a lot into the entrepreneur, uh, the investor in this world, right? And it's impactful. And there's really two forms, right? There's like the God-given, like no different than the color of our eyes, right? And then there's and then there's a circumstantial, like what we live through, good and bad. And for me, you know, I got in this industry and I carried that into me. Like I wanted to learn everything I possibly could about this word diversification, right? You know, we use that all the time nowadays, but as a 16-year-old, like you don't know what that is. Like you know what I mean? Really, in terms of how it relates to money, right? And so, anyways, point of the matter with that is I was I was wanting to learn more about it. And through that, being a younger advisor, especially being a successful one in my mid-20s, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of these guys are 40, 50 years old. You know, they're they've been around the block, so to speak. They're kind of old school brokers, you know, they're not really advisors. So there was a lot of like weird, you know, some tension there. I'm kind of like, you know this is the way, and this is, by the way, this is like 15 years ago, you know, this is before social media, before a lot of the technology that we see, this is, you know, how we run our firm here at One Capital and the $5 billion that we manage, it's to our 
knowledge. It is very pure and very private wealth oriented, essentially serving the client and their needs and not selling them products and going into it that way. And so a lot of lessons learned, man. And I, you know, as a business owner, a lot of lessons earned um, as an employer with starting, you know, we part my partners and I, we started with six or seven people and now we have almost 90 people on staff wow. uh, between we have an office here in Westlake, Newport beach, um, Santa Barbara, San Francisco and Kansas city, you know? And so a lot of growing pains, a lot of fun, a lot of just different things, but end of the day, like many entrepreneurs and many business owners who've been on your podcast or listen, right. Is, you know, it, it's, as long as you keep it all in the sense of serving, you know, the end user, which in our case is our clients and, and their needs, then it all works out, you know? Um, but, uh, it was, you know, I'll, I, I guess one of those things in life, right. I'll, I would never change my route, even though there's a lot of bumps in the road. I'm, I'm grateful for it. So, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you just touched on it a little bit, but I want to take a deeper dive and, uh, you know, focus on the company that you've gone, grown and created up until this point. Yeah. You know, and I want to ask, what is One Capital Management? Yeah. Uh, so One Capital Management, we're a private wealth advisory firm. Um, we focus on wealth management. And to us, wealth management is a, a three-pillared process where it's, you know, the actual investment management, the portfolio managing, uh, managing a client's IRA or 401k or trust account, brokerage account, um, the relationship management, which is really more um, the relational aspect of being an advisor to someone, a real, a true advisor, someone who builds relational equity, you know, with the client, with their family. Um, and then all, all the third pillar being advanced planning, right, which is largely around things like trusts and estates and legacy planning. Uh, asset protection discussions, alternative investing conversations, you know, bringing teams together. So we focus uh, for our clients. Uh, we meet them where they're at. I always share that, you know, our process, we start with a discovery meeting and that's really for them to get to know us, but also for us to get to know them, you know, and it sounds kind of weird that way, but like, we want to make sure that we can also provide value to them, but it's also aligning, helping them align their values and goals. And then obviously the engine that drives this whole ship is the money management, like the investment part, right? But I always share this, it might be a dumb analogy, but a lot of people out in this world, in the investing world, they talk about, you know, uh, some stock or some something, right? And, that, and that, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like relating it to a car. You can have this biggest, baddest souped up engine, but if it doesn't have a chassis or tires to run on, it's not going anywhere. You know, so it brings up the whole conversation with us as a firm that, you know, it's not always what you own, but how you own it. And so private wealth management to us is um, designing a wealth forecast for them, making sure that they stay on that course so that the noise of this world, which there's plenty of, especially recently, right, um, you know, doesn't doesn't get in and, you know, deteriorate, you know, what they're trying to achieve. Um, that's what we focus on. And we've been successful with it, we feel. And our growth from an office perspective has been really great. Um, we just touched on $5 billion in assets, which is a, a really, you know, we look at that less of a number, more of how many households and people we get to serve in that. It's such a blessing. Uh, it's nearly 2000 across this, across the United States and up in Canada. We have a, a pretty good foothold as well with Canadian um, clients in our investing world too. So it's, it's been, it's been a ride. It's been fun. Man, that's incredible. I mean, and you know, you mentioned that you guys crossed $5 billion worth of you know, assets under management. Mm -hmm. How was that journey like for you? What was that process like? Because that's a that's a, a large number, and um, you know, I'm sure it wasn't an easy journey or easy process to get there. Yeah, no, 
No, it wasn't. And, and, it, and it shouldn't be right. Anything worth doing is worth doing right. And for the, for the long haul. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's comprised of a lot of lessons learned along the way, but the reality is it, it, it's good investment management. It's good relational management with the clients. It's referrals from our clients to work with more families. So all of that has come into, come into play there. You know, we serve different niches as well. So, um, uh, we have a first responder niche. So our advisors work with uh, fire and policemen, uh, specifically here in LA City. In fact, we have an entire sports and entertainment chassis. So we represent a decent percentage of uh, a lot of the big four sports. We are very heavily large in, in the NHL and the Hockey League, believe it or not. Um, so we do a lot with sports and entertainment. We have a whole family office uh, that tends to have more of our higher net worth clients that need more family office structure. Um, <clears throat> so I think if you look at our firm as a whole, if you look at the five billion as a collective group, it's made up of individual practices from individual advisors focusing on specific niches uh, within their expertise. And um, you know, our job is one capital management uh, from the core level, of providing the investment management approach, the resources, the technology, all that stuff for our advisors and ultimately for our clients has been kind of a support for that whole thing. And um, it's been a collective consortium of growth that's come from organic growth performance. Um, it's also come from really great mergers uh, and acquisitions we've done with different practices that we've kind of molded in to our firm. So it's been, um, you know, across the board from a growth perspective. Absolutely, man. That's incredible. I mean, and just to, just to hear you speak on different mergers and acquisitions, that's something that's, that really piques my interest. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what I want to understand and ask is, what was that transition period like for you? So you started in the industry when you were 16 and mm -hmm. I assume, you know, you were working, um, you know, under a, a large working for a large corporation. What was that moment where you knew like you had to start your own business? You had to start your own company. Oh, man. I remember that to the day. It was like, you know, you always kind of remember those things. And so I was 16, worked at a bank, uh, started with a broker dealer, Securities America, um, when I was like 18, I was kind of working in and out while I was coming back from, from college, right? And then after I graduated, uh, I worked there full time for about four years. And I was working directly for an advisor. I was basically his right hand man. So I was able to kind of learn everything. And as I started learning things, and I think a lot of people can probably relate to this, some of the things that we learn in life, you know, we, we try to achieve, say, okay, I want to do that and remember that and kind of hone in on those skills. But equally as important is the stuff that you don't want to do right? That you see other people doing that may not be for you, or you may not, you may have philosophical differences on that. And so to me, the ultimate time when I just decided to leave a larger broker dealer was when I really, there was a one or two things that I just had a philosophical difference on allocations of investments, approaches to the practice. And I just thought it was my time to be able to, to do that. And uh, it was November, 2011, you know, I was single. I had an apartment here in Santa Monica. I moved out of that, moved back in with my, I called my dad up and I'm like, Hey, <clears throat> I'm doing this. Uh, I need to come back in and move in with you. Would that be okay? You know, that, and you know, I was in debt, probably 20, $25,000 between different credit cards. Like I, I lived it, you know, and, um, I, uh, I never forget the breakfast I had with my partner now, Pat Bowen, our president of our firm. And he was great. He took a guy who was 23 years old, you know, under his wing and said, you know, you can, let's, let's do this together and we'll, we'll, we'll give you the resources. And we kind of partnered there and um, man, it was scary, you know, but I look back on it. Like I said, I would not change the path because 
I knew my intentions were to build the best financial practice I could possibly build that kept the client or any business owner who's listening right now, if you kept the end user in mind completely, it will work out. You know, if you're doing it for self-serving reasons or if you're doing it for whatever other goals, you're going to have more troubles than it's probably worth. And you'll likely deviate or you won't keep on course. And I had plenty of ups and downs through that period. I mean, like we all do, but it was all in the light of serving the clients to the best of my ability. And I remember keeping that at the forefront and, you know, gosh, 13 years later or whatever it's been, it's, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a ride, but it's been nothing but blessings. And um, yeah, never forget that man. November, 2011, <laughs> something I'll tell my kids, you know what I mean? Like I got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and I have a son and I'll likely have that both of them, my, my daughter too. I'll likely have that conversation with them if they ever want to do that route for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you think, most people get wrong about money you know that's a great question i i i'll say this in in nearly two decades now of being in the financial services industry being around money and talking with so many people about money we have to remember that what i think we get wrong about money is that money is you know the bible talks about this too like not making it an idol right and and, and we, we we put it on this pedestal like I think, and we take it differently too, as as male and females. There is something I see in households as well, where I've noticed what men get wrong about money is wrapping up our identity and our worth in that. As if, if we're not making X amount or have something, then we're not being the provider or, you know what I mean? And then I think on the other side, I talk to a lot of my women clients and I have some very, very independently strong and very successful clients who I get, I'm blessed to be able to serve. And their mindset's a little bit different because they, they they tend to think of money more as a savings and not of investing. So they don't think about the longer term sometimes. Now, this is, I'm generalizing. I'm not saying it's for everybody, but I think individually um, and almost humanistically, we all take things differently about money. And um, I think understanding, <laughs> it's going to sound weird saying this, but like understanding how powerful money is in the sense of like, it's a very powerful drug, you know, and, and, and I think we don't realize this, but constantly there's a running tape going on in our bodies with two wars at all times. Like our, our emotions are always battling our logic and vice versa, like at all times. And nowadays we're getting subliminally marketed to left and right. I mean, once that you probably, I mean, everything we go like, oh, I think I need that, that hoodie or something like that. And I'm like, I wasn't even thinking about a hoodie last week, but I <laughs> saw some ad and a guy saw it look good. Now all of a sudden I want this hoodie. Now I can't shake it. You know what I mean? Exactly. So it plays on so many things wrong. And I think when we look at money as, in short, great question, I'd say this. What I think we get wrong about money is that money should serve us. We shouldn't be serving it. And I think if we look at that tape, a lot of us spend our youth, you know, sacrificing our health for our wealth. And then ironically, we flip that around when we don't focus on stuff that we actually should be focusing on. We then end up sacrificing our wealth for our health. You know, so it's kind of this like loop. And so sometimes my job is to kind of get in the way and disrupt that loop with clients and be like, careful what money, the narrative of money is telling you, you know, because it's kind of leading you down different paths that you're sharing with me. You don't want to do. You don't want to be in debt anymore. You don't want to overspend. Right. You do want to invest, invest for your future. Well, you know, if you have in interest rates on credit cards, you're paying a 10, 12, 15 percent, you know, it's going to be like shooting a golf shot into a headwind. You know what I mean? It's like you got to pay those things off first before you can start really getting net returns and investments. So it's a great question. It's a very philosophical one that I kind of share. And again, this is probably a longer winded answer, but you know, it, it comes from a lot of experience, 
you know, with clients. I had four meetings today alone, two reviews and then two new clients of discoveries. And it's all four of them are very different. You know, everyone's coming into that meeting with different backgrounds, different reasons, different whys. I always say, well, client, what's your why? Because if your why is just to say, hey, Brad, I have $100,000 and I want you to double it. A, I'll tell them like, look, I'm not your guy, right? Because <laughs> if you're looking for that tomorrow and someone says they can do it, you probably should run. <laughs> right, you know? right. Um, but it's also kind of like, well, your why can't just be the growth of it. You kind of got to fall in love with the process of it and understand the why being, you know, it helping and benefiting your family or just other aspects, more, more what I call qualitative assets, right? Quality of life, not necessarily quantitative or numerical numbers. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky one, man. We all get money. We, 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 we think we understand money. But we realize that if more often we think about it, we're typically working for it. And the idea of financial freedom is to have it work for us. <laughs> you know, it's flipping that around. Like money's a great employee, but a terrible boss. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think you made a, a lot of great points, um, you know, in your response. And and that, you know, kind of led me to my next question. You know, you mentioned that money should serve us. We shouldn't serve money. So what do you think or what what do you say are some ways that we can have our money serve us instead of us serving money get it in control i i know how rudimentary that might sound but i would say the same person who's got a hundred million dollars with us to someone who's got a hundred thousand dollars with us get money under control and what that means is finding good counsel finding someone who can help you like you don't necessarily go into some big diet or some big workout routine or some other thing without having some sort of counsel or advocate to either keep you on the path or help you understand who has experience before to do that. So I think that's kind of number one. And for many out there listening, I would say this, it might be as simple as following the good old 80, 10, 10 rule, you know, live on 80%, save 10 for short term, save 10 for long term. There's different rules out there. You can break that up into 70, 30, 10 or, or sorry, 70, 20, 10. But the reality is, is making sure you start with understanding whatever you're bringing in, live on less than that. Because look, comparison's a thief of joy, right? If you're making $80,000 and you're hanging out with people who are making $150,000, like you're going to get into a trap where you're going to start spending like you got 150. It's just natural. It's, mm -hmm. it's not a you thing. It's not your fault. Don't get in this loop like you're doing something wrong. It's a very common human trait to kind of just fall victim to what's kind of going on around you. So just got to check yourself a little bit and be like, it really is as simple as that. Spend less than you're making. You know, a lot of times I have clients I'm working with debt management. There's a lot of debt out there, right? It's a big thing for households right now. And I just did, I actually just did a podcast on this on our show, the Make Your Money Matter show around, should I be paying off debt or investing first? Because it's a common theme, right? And if you think about it, getting your money in your control has a lot to do believe it or not, with debt. Because if you have debt or you are considering taking on debt, you're likely letting money kind of dictate what you can or can't do, right? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. There's good debt and there's bad debt. Debt can be used in useful ways, no doubt. But if you think about debt in general, it's typically a symptom, not a disease. You know what I mean? If you have debt, that's a symptom. And this may be not being dramatic, but the disease isn't the debt. The disease is the overspending, right? So you can, you know, my son the other day was sick and we can talk all day long about wiping his nose and not getting on his sleeve and all that stuff kids do. 
but I'd rather go to the doctor and get the root cause of it, make sure it's not a virus or it's a bacteria, right? That's what you want to do with your money, just the same. So it's kind of like taking some stock in yourself and identifying these areas, essentially. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, you, you just raised some more good points, man. And I feel like that's the question that a lot of people struggle with. Um, you know, just, just trying to make that decision or trying to weigh those two options. Do I invest now or do yeah. I pay off that debt? Do I get that high interest debt paid down? Yeah. Um, you know, I struggle with that myself too, man. But I, I try to pride myself on if I do have debt, if I do create debt, I want to make sure that that is tied to an income producing asset. You know, 100% like that agree. good debt, like you mentioned. Yeah, and there, I mean, what, the categories of good debt, right? Are, there's three, right? There's it's low interest, it's typically deductible, and it's foreign investment or an asset. Mm -hmm. I'm a I'm a big advocate. Like debt can be useful, no doubt, right? Um, and I think you know it's all about arbitrage. Right. Absolutely. If you're going to go borrow at three or four and you can go make five or six all day, all day. I just I was just talking about this on another show, like all day. Right. It's the stuff that's unsecured, higher interest rate, not deductible, no tax benefits, no investment, really. That's the stuff that tends to eat away at net worth profits for households. Right. And, you know, we have it. It's not it's not like it's, it's I'm not immune to that. Like my wife and I, we have dealt with that before where it's kind of like whether it's an uh oh emergency or. Or sometimes it's just a want that you just can't shake, man. You know, exactly. it, it happens, dude. And so we just have those conversations where it's like, you got to have a plan to pay it off. And, you know, if you're paying 15% on a credit card or something like that, like, you know, unless you're going to make in 15% a year, you kind of want to focus on the higher interest rate before you can actually invest. Because otherwise you're just kind of hitting the ball into the wind. and It's just coming right back to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. But good debt is definitely out there. And it's getting that also under control as well. So reconsolidating finding fixed, um, re-amortizing certain things. Those are all part of this, the ideas and planning that we get involved with clients as well. You mentioned a little earlier that, you know, you you were um, recording a podcast for Make Your Money Matter a little bit earlier. I mean, and, you know, you're active on social media from YouTube mm -hmm. to your podcast, to your radio show. What was the idea behind uh, Make Your Money Matter? Uh about five years ago, I remember we had a partners meeting and I kind of went to them and I've been kind of talking about this a little bit. And I, I basically summed it up this way, Wesley. It's a good question. I, I basically said, I, I'm kind of tired of us being the unknown experts. You know, in our space in the financial world, right? You know, we know what we're doing behind closed doors for our clients because in our world, it's private. Like our client's business is not someone else's business, right? That's private, you know? But the knowledge that we're sharing daily you know, I, I felt needed to be to be out there. And I'll be completely frank, I just I was kind of doing some research, if you want to call it that I was because like, I'm not a personally, I'm not a huge social media guy, but we are now with the firm and for our show. And I was doing some research, and I just saw a whole bunch of people talking about stuff that I talk about all the time with experience that really have no business talking about it. So it kind of irked me in a competitive way, not in an unhealthy way, but like, okay, hold up. If people are kind of gleaning and learning on this kind of stuff, wouldn't they want to know that someone who's actually a fiduciary, actually who's credentialed, actually has experience, who does this for a living, not just an influencer, so to speak, speaking about it? That was the kind of how it was born. Um, and this was about three, four years ago, and or actually almost four or five years ago now. And we kind of started evolving it. So we started writing things. I started putting, putting things together. Um, but we believe just like in our planning, everything should be simple and elegant. Right. We don't need to make it overly complicated and we want it to be, you know, high end. We want it to be 
what clients should expect if they're going to pay for an advisor or if they're going to get experience. It's no different than when you check into a nice hotel, right? You want to get, you know, an experience out of it, right? Um, so we want to make sure that was where we went through and we had uh, the YouTube. We actually started with the podcast, um, the Make Your Money Matter podcast, and we started with our radio show, which is out here in the North Los Angeles area, Make Your Money Matter show. Um, and then about a year ago, we took the podcast essentially and um, went into the YouTube show. And man, that's been uh, that's been an endeavor. It's been fun. You know, it's different going from audio to visual, right? Mm -hmm. or, or audio to video. Um, you know, and I I kind of had to, I was the one that, for lack of a better term, kind of jumped on the grenade. And, you know, I'm not a huge guy to be on camera, but I understood the medium and that's the way things are going. And, you know, YouTube was a really great place for us to share our knowledge and have people reach out through us there. And, and it's been, it's been a, it's been a cool experience. I mean, I, I know on your podcast as well, you kind of, it's interesting when you put yourself out there, right? right? We talk about entrepreneurs, we do that in business world, but it's also an artist world too. It's a very creative outlet, you know? So you're putting yourself out there, you know, it's vulnerable. It's, it's, you know, it's, you, you're being authentic. And on my show, I, talk about a lot of these concepts, but a lot of me comes out naturally, exactly. just like on yours. Like a lot of Wesley comes out, a lot of Brad comes out just because it's who I am. It's who you are, you know? And um, so it's a way for people to kind of connect and adapt. And, um, you know, it's been, uh, it's been an experience, man. It's been, it's been fun. Absolutely. And I, I, I uh, admire how you were able to really diversify um, your content creation you know, from, from like doing a radio show. I think that's super interesting. That's like not a route that you hear. Um, yeah. Radio is wild, man. Yeah. That's like, but that's, that's fire. Like the wild, wild West, you know, yeah. it's, um, it, you know, it's unique. Cause I, I remember when I got approached by that and I, my first question, I'll be completely candid. I was like, people still listen to the radio. Like, I'm sure when you heard that, when we were talking about that earlier, you're probably like, who, who, I mean, I, who listens to the radio anymore, you know? Um, but it, it's a, it's, it's pretty interesting, man. When you look at the stats, these Nielsen ratings and stuff like that, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that listen yeah. to it. And in our world, you know, we focus on private wealth for all ages. So our, you know, our average client size depends on the niche. We're all over the place, but a lot of uh, 55 to 70 year olds in that age range in particular, um, listen to radio. And so it was just one of those things where, you know, it was that certain aspect. So my topics there are largely oriented towards retirement assets and not necessarily, you know, delineating the word retirement. Cause to me, retirement doesn't necessarily mean you're 65 years old, right? Retirement means being financially free at, w at whatever age. I think, remember we're only one generation away from the great depression. So like our parents were raised by parents that had likely lived through the great depression. Like we're not that far away. So you got to think there's a lot of teachings coming down about money, about business, about world topics and economics that are coming from these households before social media, before all of us were getting our news in 140 characters on like some little tweet, you know what I mean? Right. So there's a lot to be had there. And it's a cool forum, man. It's like, you know, it's, it's an hour long show and, and, and it's kind of free form. I get to kind of just be me and talk about these topics. And, um, it's different than doing like a five or 10 minute, you know, uh, YouTube show or a 20 minute podcast. Um, just different styles, different, different approaches. And you can expand on topics a little bit more on radio, which is kind of cool. So for me, it's gotten me, uh, I got a, yeah, like you said, pretty diverse, um, medium and, and platform to kind of work with for people. 
Absolutely. I mean, and you know, speaking of retirement, you're the author of um, the book Retire Right. Yeah. So what was the vision and the idea behind or, or what was the vision that you had when you were writing and creating this this book? You know, same kind of concept. I, I went into the media side, kind of wanted to get out there and the same thing with the book. The, the Honestly, I think a lot of people will test this who's written a book is the book process is something that's probably on your mind for a long time. It's actually pulling the trigger on it. And that was tough because, you know, it's an immediate 12 to 18 months of writing, rewriting, and you know, oh, that's not good. And going back to it a month later and redoing the whole thing. So it was a process, man. Um, but I, 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 the idea with retire right was the whole idea with what I put on securing the right path to retirement. And I chose the word retire right because I want it to be personal. I want it to be retire right. I almost wanted to expand to be retire how you want to retire. Like your retirement's gonna be different than mine. My client at two o'clock today was different than my client at four o'clock today. And right. so individualizing and, and having people understand that they're not a cookie cutter. Like this book that I wrote has a lot of the segments and I broke it down very clearly, but I wanted to write it in a sense that it spoke to them and for them to filter it, how it felt in their life. Like I have a, a chapter in there on pensions and. A lot of people don't have pensions, but right. a lot of people do. And I think people in this industry, we, we tend to ignore it because they're no longer there. But there's, I mean, I have, I'm blessed to serve. We have a hundred million dollars of, of guys in management of just working with first responders who have governmental municipality pensions. And so um, we wanted to, the book, the idea was to diversify the, even the topics, you know, um, of everything. So it was, uh, it was an experience, man, but it's available on Amazon. It's not one something we, I really want it to be more of a, of an approach for people to just kind of learn about us and me as an advisor um, than anything else. It wasn't supposed to be, it's not supposed to be some big profit turning thing. Um, it was really just more about me, the advisor and some topics I've talked to for about for two decades. Absolutely. Now, I mean, I think it's, I think it's really cool that you mentioned, uh, you know, you, you um, manage, manage funds of, for, for some of the first responders. I don't yeah. know if you ever, you've ever seen the show Billions, but oh, yeah. uh, the 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 main character in there at the time, uh, Bobby Axelrod, he was he was trying to get the fun, I believe, was for the firefighters or something. And that was the first time I heard of that. And I thought it was fire. So like to hear you say that now, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's a that's a dope accomplishment to have, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and that I remember that show. I remember that that show. He was talking about the pension fund and yeah, <laughs> and those kind of things. Right. We work individually with the actual individual responders, um, which I love. I mean, you get to help a, a household, you know, guys who are, you know, running to the noise versus a lot of civilians are running away from the noise. Like, I want to honor that. And they're going to come home. They're making their paycheck. They're working overtime. They're sacrificing their lives. But it's also hard, too, because they train. And this is just totally true of anybody. Like, we don't teach money in high school or college. Like we teach conceptual, right. like economics, but no one's gonna tell you how to fill out a mortgage application exactly. or, you know, they'll give you debt. As soon as you step on a college campus when you're 18 years old or if you're a senior in high school, you'll get a credit card, man. You, no one's not gonna give you one, but understanding how to use it matters. So same thing when you get into certain jobs, like these guys, they, they I mean, my firemen in particular, they, they go on hand crews, they're doing junior guard, they're doing all this stuff. And then they all of a sudden get to this drill tower, they're getting on the job and they're now filing, you know, W4s and deferred compensation plans. And it's like, they're like, what? So yeah. the whole premise of it was to educate. Like my whole goal there is to educate. And the more, I think 
to us as a firm, as a philosophy, the more our clients know about why they are doing what they are doing with their money, the better they are, plain and simple. Um, and I share this often on our radio show and on our, our show. It's like, if you're working with counsel and working with an advisor who kind of talks at you versus with you, that's a pretty good sign to say, hey, you want to you ask some specific questions to make sure they're the right person for you. Because this, I mean, I've been around this business my entire, my literally my entire life, like my adult life for sure. And there's some interesting apples out there. Let's put it that way. You know, they're out there for commission stuff. They're out there for sales stuff. And look, at the end of the day, this is a service business. And, um, and a service, not just in a product, a service in, you know, something very important, very trusting. You know, this is the financial livelihood and the vitality of a, of a financial household, you know, so marrying concepts from different walks of life and different um, uh, careers matters to us to educate and to inform. Absolutely. And yeah. that, you know, through the education, that education piece creates a sense of like transparency and just um, added trust with the clients and with the customers and with the people that you work with. I mean, and, yeah. you know, just just speaking on, um, you know, added trust and in, in, in the educational piece, you've been able to obtain uh, your CFP designation, which is a certified financial planner. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and like you mentioned earlier, man, it, that sets that sets you apart from the people who are who have no real life experience or who, who don't work in the industry or who are just influencers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. What are your thoughts? How do you feel about having that CFP uh, designation and like kind of the peace of mind that it brings to your clients? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. I think I think there's three things anyone should ask if you're looking for an advisor, right? Um, one should be the experience, kind of understanding, you know, their experience and what they're knowledgeable and making sure it works for you. It should be a fiduciary, making sure that they're working the best interest for you. And then thirdly, the credentials. Um, I, I think, you know, my CFP was largely born on just wanting to, what I think when you look at an advisor who has credentials, you want to find someone who's investing in themselves because they're investing in themselves for you. That's the whole idea. Um, now, I will say this, you want to be weary of those that have like alphabet soup. You know, they got like 15 <laughs> letters behind their names because they're likely spending more time in the books and studying than actually in the real world doing what they should be doing. So there's a fine line there, but... I'm proud of it. And it was a great, you know, it's, it's a, it's not an easy designation, you know, and, right, and it's, right. and it's a, it's a study thing. It's a, it's a test. It's very, it's subjective nature, but it's also got really good, um, you know, aspects from both everything from ethics to, to specific diversification and portfolio structuring to advanced planning topics like insurance or um, uh, business installment plans and just different ways you can help a client. So I loved it because it's, it's very encompassing. You know, it wasn't just like one of one of the hardest designations, in my opinion, is a chartered financial analyst, a CFA. Um, you know, my entire bullpen either has a CFA or are studying for one. So that's a big requirement for us because we want the most knowledgeable in that. That's a very hard designation, but it's specific to investing. You know, it's a very specific for the most part. And it's specific to understanding the concepts within portfolio structure and portfolio management. The CFP I like because for me, it touched on a lot of the CFA stuff, but it also had the I, the bigger stuff uh, that we had to deal with when we're client facing and working with them. So um, it's a designation I'm proud of. And I do think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good certification for people to, or designation for 
clients who are looking for advisors to kind of ask that and make sure that, you know, their advisor is seeking some sort of um, higher education, if you will, or, or designation. It's a good thing to look for. Absolutely, man. I'm in the uh, process in June. I I sit for my CTFA, man. So oh, I'm excited cool. to, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to get that started. But, yeah. you know, you, you mentioned the guys out of, or your, um, your team members out in the bullpen. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned that you were able to expand your company to um you know 90 90 team members mm -hmm. so i want to ask what is the importance of having a team and how did you focus on building yours look team is everything in my mind I, and i and i know that can be taken different ways but i mean you know i was just on a show earlier and the guy said it really well i really liked it he said basically your the way you grow wealth is not an individual sport it's a team effort kind of basically exactly what you're saying you know, um, in fact, I even use the analogy with clients that when you hire us, or you hire me as your advisor, I tell them to think like we're your quarterback, their head coach, their team owner, we're the quarterback on the field, but I need running backs. I need wideouts. I need linemen. So I have my job is to help them put those players on the field and then give them feedback as we're all moving down the field. Right. So even my analogies are team oriented and, you know, um, having our team and our building our team, we sunk a lot of investments, a lot of time um, of our own capital as we were growing the firm to seeking the best and brightest. And, it, you know, we, we really wanted to make sure that if someone were to come in and just spend a day with us, they would see that every department from our portfolio management to our technical, um, or our, sorry, our technology, to our fixed income department, to our client servicing associates, to our operations team, like, if they met with each one of those department heads and then even one of the team members of each one of those, they would feel confident that those are the right people in that right job. Um, we even do so far as do testing. Like we do a lot of what the NFL does. We do like kind of the litmus testing stuff. So we get their kind of their, their culture and kind of understand, you know, how they think and operate, make sure they're the right fit. And we marry those to the roles. So we've done a lot of research, you know, <laughs> to, to build our team and to find our team members. And um, we, we love the growth we've had and, and the roles vary from advisor, like I mentioned, to portfolio management, to operations, to technology, um, client servicing. You know, we have a it's 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 vast, and um, and and the team approach is is everything. And it's the same way you should approach your money, in my opinion, as well. Absolutely. So you know, you've been in the industry for you know over two decades. How do you define success as an entrepreneur and as a business owner at this point in your career? Mm. Um, I think one of the things that matters most to me is, is client retention. I mean, I, I just think it's something that, you know, if, if, if we're working with clients for many years now, we're, we're continually doing great things and adding great value. And so it's shown by our clients staying with us and, and realizing that there's value here for us and vice versa. And, um, and then referrals, like success is always great when we have a client who says, you know, I really love my advisor. He's done great, great for me. You should go talk to him kind of thing. Um, to us, it's not necessarily, and I think for me, this is back to the concept and the question you had around what people get wrong about money. And I think sometimes entrepreneurs get wrong about, I just want to make money. You know, I just want to make, you know, if that's your goal, first off, it's self-serving. You're not going to find much joy in it in the first part, but likely you're going to be swayed every so often because it's going to move around. You know what I mean? Like I mentioned before, keeping the focus directly on who we're serving, which is our, our clients 
And success to me is the nearly 2000 households that we get to serve. Um, and that we've served for many, many years. I mean, our client retention rates is in the high nineties, you know, 95, 98%. I mean, it's, it's up there. We don't have much turnover. Um, and that's, I'm proud of that. I think we, as a firm, us as partners, our advisors, we're proud of that. That's, that's a, that's, that's success to us. And then I think, you know, I'll add this adding, adding roles to our firm and having a culture in our firm matters. That's successful to us being able to, you know, support families through the work that they're doing for us and for our clients. You know, think about that with 90, almost 90 people on staff, that's 90 different individuals and families, you know, that's a, that's a great thing. I think any business owner out there watching and listening, when you realize if you kind of get your head up and realize after 10 years of, of grinding, you're able to like, oh man, I got people that I'm supporting and they're supporting theirs. And it's like this down the line. That's a, that's pretty cool to me. So. Absolutely. So what does the future of one capital management look like to you? Ooh, you got good questions, man. Um, the future of one capital management, uh, I think will always be to strive for our best. I know as, as cliche as that may sound, continually adapting and understanding, you know, um, the ways that, that, that are true and sound that work for good portfolio diversification, good client management, good planning and structures, adapting to times and technology. Um, we definitely, we have our own, we're unique in the sense for our firm size, we have our own technology team. You know what I mean? We own our own technology here. We don't necessarily outsource to a whole lot of things, which is unique. We want to own that for security reasons. We all want to own that for um, being able to add more value to our clients. And so I think it will always be, you know, um, adapting and keeping our culture strong. And then we are continually adding things internally. Um, we're doing our advisor spotlights and our advisor summits and just adding more value there. Uh, so we're doing a lot of things to just keep uh, the knowledge and the experience and the intellect um, for our advisors and our staff to be able to then provide that to our clients. Um, and then uniquely, I think um, reaching people in different ways is a growth part for us. One of them being our show. We're going to continue with that, continue with our podcast and the radio program and um, more to come on that for sure in the future. Absolutely. Brad, thank you so much for your time today, man. I really enjoyed getting a chance to sit and talk with you. Um, yeah. You know, and, and before before we go, I want to say I, I see that Jordan one behind you, the orange and black. I appreciate that, too. I mean, great, <laughs> great statue, great piece. So, yeah, man, I enjoyed this conversation, man. No, man, I appreciate that. In fact, that's actually kind of funny. I, um, I had these white ones. Like, that's all I wear is ones. I got the 85s on right now. Ooh, I put my foot up, weird, but um, <laughs> you know, it's, I've been a Jordan fan since I was eight years old. You know, ironically, yeah. it just became you know bigger and bigger. But uh, I had a good buddy who's a street artist do that, and so I had him do it in our our one capital color. So it's funny. I get more comments on that than I think anything else. <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah, that's fire, man. That's fire. Yeah. But I appreciate but, but... you having me on, man. It's great, great to get to meet you. I love what you're doing, and um, yeah, man, keep at it. Good luck with the CTFA thing, man. That, that's great. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Thank you.